Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to look into your word for a few moments today. We ask that you would speak to us again through the word that was given all those years ago, but it's alive and active in our lives today. Lord, we listen. We want to hear your voice speaking to us in our situation, in our lives. You know all about us, Lord. And so we listen to your spirit right now. Speak to us, we pray, and help us to understand you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Yesterday I was in London. Well, I'm in London now, but I was down in the middle of London. And we took the boat, got some friends staying with us. And uh, you do the tourist thing when you have friends staying. So a pastor and his wife from uh, L.A., from the States, and they're staying for a couple of weeks. And so we took them down, and I said, first thing you've got to do, you've got to get a boat trip from Westminster, and you go all the way up to Greenwich. So we did that, had a look at all the sights from the river. And then we went to Greenwich, and uh, we walked up the hill to the Meridian and walked back down again, and the Admiralty's all there. And the pastor said, oh, look, there's a chapel. I wonder if it's open. So I said, oh, okay, if you want to go church shopping and hopping and, you know. So, so we went in and there was this lovely chapel to the, to the seamen uh, in, uh, in Greenwich. And we were sitting there and it was just sort of beautiful painting on the back wall there. Instead of having a cross there, they had this picture that was painted, massive picture of, uh, of Paul. And he's there uh, in Malta on his missionary journey and this old picture of it there. And we were sitting there and quiet music going in the background. It's really nice. Had a good look round. And then we left there and we, we came back into the middle of London. And because he's a Methodist, we thought we'd better go to Central Hall, Westminster, the head of the Methodist Church in Great Britain. So we walked in there and I, I said, I'm a Methodist pastor. Can I show my Methodist pastor friend from the States around? And Oh, yeah, go ahead. So we went up and went in the main auditorium. It was all empty. And we had a look round there. And he had his picture taken next to John Wesley, who was a very little man, if you, uh, if you know. And he, you, know, you only have to be more than four foot tall to be bigger than John Wesley, because he was tiny. But he's got a life-size statue there, and he's had his arm around this statue, and he had his picture taken. And it was very nice. And then we went, because uh, it was three o'clock, we went to Coral Evensong in Westminster Abbey, because that way you don't have to pay. You know, we're Presbyterians, so we're cheap. So you don't pay to get in. So we went there and we had a Coral Evensong in Westminster Abbey. It was beautiful, sitting there, and the choir was all singing, and it was wonderful. Three very different churches, very different scenes in the churches. And it got me thinking, uh, what is the purpose of the church? I mean, the one in, in, uh, in Greenwich, it was obviously there for seamen, and, and it was a place where uh, the seamen used to go, and, and that's where they used to go and worship and probably pray before they went out uh, on ships and so on. And in the olden days, it was probably quite risky maneuver going out on boats, and you didn't know if you were coming back or not. And so that was the place they would go. Central Hall, Westminster, the, the head of the Methodist church... It wasn't Wesley's church. It came a lot of years after Wesley, but that's the, the home of the... And then you've got Westminster Abbey and all the history, and we were sitting there in one of the, uh, one of the aisles, and you're sitting on top of dead bodies because you've got the gravestones beneath your feet. And well, I was thinking, what's the, what's the real, the primary purpose of the church? Maybe the purpose is worship. 
been worshipping this morning. It's praising God. We were in Westminster Abbey, we were praising God. We were standing up and sitting down and standing up and repeating verses and, and, uh, and, and responses and singing hymns and praising God. And it was beautiful. Is that the primary purpose of the church? Maybe it's fellowship. We're told to bear one another's burdens. And we've just spent a lot of time in prayer because we have a lot of burdens. And I'm sure if we were to go round and have an opportunity to share, we could all share something that we're carrying that we would like prayer for from one another. And Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. Is that what we're here for? Maybe it's for love and support as we share and as we bear. So actually we need a, a network of friendship, a network where we're a family together. The family of God working, showing the love of Jesus. Matthew 22, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, might love your neighbor as yourself. And church gives an opportunity to both experience and express that love of God and that love of one another. Or maybe it's like 1 Timothy 3, where, where he talks about teaching. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, training, equipping. Rebuking righteousness so that the Son of God or the Son of Man, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And maybe the reason that we come together is to train one another in the Scriptures and in the ways of God. What is the primary purpose of the church? Well, perhaps it's a bit of all of those. But Jesus gave us one primary purpose. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28. It's what we've been looking at together. We started a couple of weeks ago. And I want to continue our thinking on it today. Matthew 28. We all know it as the Great Commission. And this, in a nutshell, is what Jesus said the church, the primary purpose of the church is. He said in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. William Temple said, The church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. And that's what Jesus is saying here. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And it's that first part of verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, that I want us to think about today. What is the primary purpose of the church? Well, Jesus says it's this. That's why we gather. That's why we're here. Firstly, in verse 19, he says, therefore. Therefore means you have to think about what's gone on before. So you think about what's happened before, and therefore, this is what you've got to do. 
When I was younger, and on the very, very rare occasion that I was naughty, I can only think of once, you used to get into trouble. It's usually my brother who got me into trouble, of course. But when you're in trouble, you know, they start, your parents come and what do they do? They list out all the things that you've done, all your misdemeanors. Big scroll opens, right? And then they start listening. This is what's happening. Therefore, this is the punishment. And you're just waiting for the therefore bit. You don't really care about the misdemeanors bit, do you? Yeah, I know I did all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get, I want to know what the end product is here. How bad is this? And it's always the therefore, this is the consequence. You know, are you grounded for the next 120 years? Or is there no television? Or, you know, what is it? What's the therefore going to be? The therefore comes out of what's gone on before. And so Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We looked at that two weeks ago. Which means that everything on the earth comes under Christ's influence, Christ's power. Everything in heaven as well. And so he's sending us out, therefore go and make disciples, is coming out of that power and authority that Christ has. Why? Well, because if we go back further through the gospel, God came, he lived, he died, he rose again, conquered death, conquered all the mess and, the, and, the, and everything else, so that we might have that kind of relationship with him that he desires for us to have. And because he's won that for us, he therefore can say, I've then got the authority and I'm going to give it to you so that when you go and make disciples, you're not going without any kind of power and authority. You're not going to go and just do it in your own strength, but you're getting going with the strength that God has already won for us. So we go with that. That's the therefore. And so when we're going, when we're doing what he's asking us to do, we need to remember the therefore. We're doing it not in our own strength, but in the strength that God brings to us. Now what's the next thing? The next thing is he says, therefore, go and make. Now suppose I was uh, to ask Ronnie right now. Ronnie, where is he? He's there. Can you go and get me a cup of coffee, please? It's freezing in this church. Everybody's got their coats on, and I'm here in a little thin. Could you go and get me a... Co- Actually, I wouldn't mind one, to be honest. Do you mind? Thank you very much. Milk, no sugar. You can go across the front, because everybody's watching you. <laughs> it's awesome. Thank you. Go and make... Everybody's going now. They're going for coffee. <laughs> right? Go and make. What does that mean? Go and make. Well, first of all... What did it mean? Well, it meant, first of all, that Ronnie had to switch his attention from what he was doing, which was listening to me, to something else, right? Can't wait for the coffee, actually. This is cool, right? So he had to change his attention from what he was doing to something else. He was sitting there listening, going, oh, I can chill now. This is really cool. Oh, look, bless him. Thank you so much. That is awesome. Thank you very much. Anybody else like a yeah no no <laughs> fantastic oh that's good right so he's he's uh, I'll put it down over here for a minute have that in a minute oh it's okay so he had to switch his attention off what he was doing and go and do something else then he had to think about didn't he 
Is he being serious? Is he really serious? No, he wants a cup of coffee. This is a sermon. This is not supposed to be coffee time. He can get a coffee afterwards. What's he think he's playing at? He's left. Where's he got? Oh, he's at the back. Right. You know, and, he's, and, so, and then he had to think, now, coffee, coffee. How do I make a good cup of coffee? Because I'm going to walk in with this cup of coffee, and it doesn't look like a good cup of coffee. Everybody will know that I can't make a cup of coffee. So he had to go away and think about, oh, I hope there's some coffee left. Otherwise, I've got to brew up a brand new pot of coffee. And, and then, I wonder if there's milk. I wonder where the milk is. If there's no milk there, where's it going to be kept? Oh, I hope I don't have to go over the road and get some more milk because I haven't got any money. I'll have to come back in the church to get some money to go. And so you start thinking about all these things, don't you? So he had to take his focus off what he was doing and then he had to refocus it onto the coffee. Then what did he have to do? Well, then he had to actually get up and go and do it. So he had to get up out of his chair and he had to go, okay. And then that was an impressive sprint, wasn't he? I didn't ask him, I didn't need it that quick, but he then started sprinting around the church, out there to go and get the coffee, and then focus on the coffee, and then he had to bring it back in to where it was, and we have a successful operation completed, and it's very nice, very, very nice, nice cup of coffee. When Jesus said, go and make disciples... He's saying to us exactly the same thing, isn't he? In other words, you cannot go and make disciples sitting where you are. You cannot go and make disciples without changing your mindset from what you're thinking about right now into the going and making disciples. You can't... Oh, thank you. Fantastic. Look at this. This is service. (laughs) Thank you. You can't go and make disciples unless you change your mindset into and make it that that's going to be my focus right now of doing that. You can't go and make disciples while you're sitting here, you know, and thinking about other things. You literally have to change your focus, change your mindset, change your attitude, change your position. You have to literally go and do it. And then how do you judge whether you've succeeded or not? Well, with the coffee, you judge by whether you get a cup of coffee at the end of it or not. If Ronnie had gone out there and just gone, you know what, this is ridiculous, I'm off, I'm going home. Who do you think I am going to make him a cup of coffee? What kind of liberty is this? He could have just gone home. And we'd all be thinking, man, that coffee's taking ages. Could have gone for a sleep, come back a bit later, you know. We judge it by how good the cup of coffee is at the end. And when Jesus says to us, go and make disciples of all nations, it's exactly the same for you and for me. We have to go and do it. We have to physically go. We have to focus on a new objective. We have to get up and go and do it. And we're going to be judged by the results of how well we've gone and done it. You know, this is the only thing that Jesus asks us to do in the Bible. He asks us to be in the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we are to be. That's how what should be inside of us, that love. But it, the only thing he says go and do is this. Go and do this. Get up from where you are, he says to his disciples, and go and make disciples. 
Which means that each one of us, therefore, has to be involved somewhere in this process. Unless we want to be disobedient. All of us have to be involved. He doesn't say, well, if you're male, handsome, good-looking, young, you come from uh, Honduras and, uh, and you can play the piano and sing a bit, go and make disciples. Or he doesn't say, if you're, you know, if you're a woman and, and, and you're 35 to 45 and, you know, you go and make disciples. He doesn't put any age restriction. He doesn't say whether you're male or female. He doesn't say, well, if you've been a theological training for eight years, then you're going to be ready, so now go and make disciples. He doesn't say, well, if you've been a believer for 25 years, then you're ready, go and make disciples, does he? He just says to everybody, go make disciples. I don't mind how long you've been a believer or how long you haven't been. You know, if it's been a long time or a short time. I don't mind if you've been in the church a long time or a short time. I don't mind if you're two years old or if you're 102 years old. Makes no difference to me. Go and make disciples. I'm telling everybody, go and do it. And that is what he's saying. All of us need to be involved in going and making disciples. It's what we need to do. And we do it with the characteristic of love flowing through us. But what does it mean to be a disciple? He doesn't say, go and make church members. Does he? He doesn't say, you know, go and make more band members or more members for Sunday streams. Go and make more church people to come on a Sunday. He doesn't say even, go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? Well, the disciple is the same as a Christian. If you turn over in Acts to Acts 11, verse 26, it tells us that the first disciples, or the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It says it's the same thing. It says in verse 26, verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So they're using it the same. So if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. If you're a disciple, you're a Christian. So it's interchanged. But it doesn't still tell us what does it really mean to be a disciple. Well, turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Because in Luke 14, Jesus tells us in quite stark terms what it really means to be a disciple. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus... And turning to them, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And if anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? 
For if he lays the foundation and he's not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. We saw that until recently at the roundabout in Harrow, didn't we? (laughs) Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the others are still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's just Jesus saying here? Well, first of all, he says, unless you hate people, hate everybody, even yourself, you can't be my disciple. Now, he doesn't mean that literally. He's using a a real exaggeration. It's like when I carry, you know, you know when you go to Tesco's and you just want milk? You know that? And when you get into Tesco's, there's so many fantastic offers on that you come back with like bags laden, right? And you're staggering along here. And you forgot to take your proper bag with you, so you have one of those cheap plastic ones that's just about to burst all over the pavement, right? And you're staggering. And when you get in, what do you do? Oh, you always do this halfway down the street. You stop and you change the bags over, don't you? Because one's always twice as heavy as the other one. And you're staggering around like this and you're going, oh, why did I do that? Like, why did I just went for milk? Why did I have to get 65 kilos of chocolate at the same time, you know? And you walk, and what do you do? You come in and you go, man, that weighed a ton. Well, it didn't weigh a ton, did it? It certainly didn't weigh a ton, because if it was a ton, you wouldn't be able to pull it up, and the bag certainly wouldn't have helped. But you exaggerate, why? Because it feels like your arms are now like five centimeters longer because of the weight of everything. Or you pick something up and you go, my goodness, that's as light as a feather. No, it's not. You pick a little baby up and go, oh, he's as light as a feather. No, he's not as light. You can't just throw him up and he'll just sort of drift down like this. It doesn't work, right? You exaggerate because you mean it actually doesn't weigh very much. Or this weighs like a ton, you know? We exaggerate all the time. My wife tells me I do it nonstop. (laughs) Except when I tell her how beautiful she is. I hope she listens to the podcast later. Right? But we all do it. And Jesus is doing the same thing here. What he's saying is that unless it's kind of like, unless your, your commitment and your following of me is going to be so strong, so central to your life, that it's almost as though you're hating everybody else. You're not. But it's like so, you're so in love with me over here that it's so far removed on one side that it's kind of like everybody else is right at the other end of the spectrum. Unless your relationship with Jesus is like that, he says you can't be a disciple. Or unless you take up your cross, in other words, you, you give over everything that you are, you have nothing when you're hanging on a cross. That's it, you're stuck. What you are is what you are. You're just hanging there. Everything else is gone. No matter what job you've got or anything else. Doesn't matter your money or anything else, does it? You're hanging there. You're along with everybody else. 
Unless you do that and follow him, not lead him and tell him to follow you, but you follow him, he says you can't be a disciple. So he's saying a disciple is somebody who is radically committed through all of their lives to Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is. That's what a Christian is. That's what you and I must be. Radically committed to Jesus Christ. So much so that everybody look at us and go, oh my goodness, he's one of those Jesus guys. Right? It means that in our hearts, in our goals, in, in who we are, it's all committed to Jesus Christ. We sang it this morning. Jesus, be the center of my life. You know when you counsel people? What you do when you counsel is you listen. And what you hear from people is when they've got particular issues, is you start hearing patterns of behavior all over the place, right? And what it does is it points down towards really what's going on in the core of their lives. And so you listen for these patterns, and then you can, it points to what's really some of the problems that are inside of them. Well, it works the same way the other way around. When you have Jesus at the core of your life, it shows on the surface of who you are. It can't help it. It's right there in the middle, and it kind of radiates out. So your words become more God-focused, doesn't mean you go around preaching everywhere, but Jesus is just a natural part of the conversation because he's a part of your life. Your time, when you look at your day, you find that some of it is more Jesus-focused. So when you're doing things, you're thinking, you're praying. Jesus is right there with you. Why? You don't have to think about doing that. It just becomes a natural part of your life because Jesus is at the core and it just comes out that way. When you look in your bank statements, you find that a greater proportion of what, what's there is to do with the work of Jesus Christ. Just because it's natural. Because you just see things and you get involved with things and you do things. And it's about Jesus and his ministry and what he wants you to be doing. And so you can see it in your own life and you see it in the life of others. Your thoughts, your feelings, your words, your actions... They become kind of Christocentric is the word they use in theology. Christ-centered. That it just comes out and, and filters out in everything. And so you can look at yourself and you say, well, where is my focus? Where is my journey of discipleship? Because you don't become a disciple just like that. It's a growing process right throughout your life. Well, look at your thoughts. How many of your thoughts are about Christ and, and your relationship with him? How many of your feelings are about your relationship with Jesus Christ? How much of your time is, is spent in, in that relationship with Jesus Christ? Not just sitting there in prayer for your quiet time, but journeying with Christ throughout the day. What about your bank statement? What does that say about where your priorities are? What about the words that you use and... And the language that you use, what does that say about your relationship with Jesus? You see, a disciple has Jesus at the core. Jesus is the center of my life. And it's as you have Christ at the center of your life, so that it shows out on the surface. That's what Jesus says we are to go 
and make. How do you do that? Well, you do that by worship, you do that by service, you do that by witnessing. We have to grow in all these areas. And we all need to be engaged in that process. I love the passage in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Paul said this. 1 Corinthians 3. He said, I planted the seed, this is Paul, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he carries on. What's Paul saying? He's saying that all of us have a part to play in making disciples. Disciples is about going out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's part of it. It's about asking people if they wish to become in a relationship with Jesus. Because we know that that's the best for them. But that's part of it. It's about then, if they say yes to Jesus Christ, about encouraging them and nurturing them and praying for them and building them up in the faith. That's part of it too. And it's about in teaching and and training and, and helping each one of us to grow. That's part of it as well. It's part of the whole process of building disciples of Christ. And sometimes when we, when we go off on our own tangents in life, it's about having a, a brother or a sister who will come to us and say, David, you're going the wrong way here. Come back. Come back to the pathway that Jesus Christ has for you. And it's about encouraging us through that journey of discipleship. All of that is our responsibility. Go and make disciples. And each one of us has a part to play because God has given us different gifts and abilities. Some of us are really good at going out and talking to non-believers and sharing with them and challenging them and saying, do you want to become a believer? Do you want to know Jesus? Some of us are really good at at encouraging others. Some are really good at, at explaining the gospel to others. Some are good at explaining the scriptures. Some of us are really good at praying for others. Some of us are really good at nurturing others in the faith. You know, we've all got different gifts and abilities that God has given to us to work together to go and make disciples. Some plant the foundations, some, water, you know, some, some build upon it. It's Christ that makes it grow. But he does so as each one of us uses the gifts and abilities that God has given to us, to each of us, to be involved in that process. So each of us have to have that mindset That actually my position here is to go and make disciples. Now Lord, where do I fit into that? And just one thing, you know, so often in the church, we think first of all we have to be strong enough, we have to be good enough, we have to be mature enough before we can go and do this for others. 
I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Do you? You know, in Luke chapter 9, what does Jesus do? He starts his ministry. He calls these disciples together. They know nothing. Right? They are at day one. And he sends them out. He says, go on, go out and do the job. And then they come back, and then he gets 72 together in Luke 10, and he sends them out. And he says, go and do it. Why? Because you learn and we grow by doing. You cannot sit here, if I said to Ronnie, please go and make me a cup of coffee. Let me meditate on that. And he just sat there. Let me think heavily about this coffee exercise that you're calling me to do. Let me learn about making coffee. Let me get a committee together to work on the coffee. Let's talk about it. Well, I can't just go out and do this thing, you know. This is serious. We need to discuss. We'll call some meetings together. Let's talk about coffee making together. I'm still waiting for my coffee here, right? But how often in churches do we do that? How often do we do it ourselves? Because actually, you know, the safest place is sitting in those committees, sitting in those meetings, talking about making coffee instead of going and doing it. And yet Jesus says, go and make. You know the amazing thing? Jesus believes you and me can do it. Isn't that amazing? He would never have said it to us if he didn't know we could do it. Why? Because he's given us the gifts and abilities to do it. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. And the results are all down to him. He has entrusted you and me with the greatest gift of all. The power to go and share a relationship with Jesus with others. And he said, David... I know all your weaknesses, I know your frailties, I know all about you, I know you're not ready, but go anyway. Because I'm going to go and work through you to produce the results. And we just need that willingness and that mindset to go. And we need that expectation within us that God will do what he's asked us to do. Go and make disciples, he says. Where? Well, he says, of all nations. Do you know how many countries there are in the world? Close, 195 apparently. Well, there's a lot of disagreement about a few, right? So, around 200. Do you know how many nations there are represented in Harrow? 203, according to the 2011 census. There are 190 countries in the world. There are 203 nations. These are people where they've been born in Harrow in 2011. You don't have to go to the ends of the world. I mean, I'm feeling a calling to Barbados, but, you know, that's a different matter, right? You don't have to go. Why? Because God's brought the world on our doorstep. The whole world, a representative of every nation. I mean, we've got 
loads in this church. It's so beautiful. But in our, in our borough, the whole world is there. So if, you, if, if Christ was to transform our borough, you would have a, represent, a missionary from every country in the world. Isn't that incredible? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. The nations have come to us. Now we need to go and make the disciples. How do we do that? Well, I would suggest you do it quite simply by praying about one or two people that you can share with. Ask God for an opportunity to share with them. I want you to think right now of maybe one or two people. Jesus invested in how many? Twelve. Right? This is the Son of God. He chose twelve and he said, these twelve I'm going to invest my time and my energy in. I'm going to show them what it means. I'm going to go and make disciples of those twelve. Why? Because those twelve will go and make disciples of a whole bunch more. So choose, you're not the Son of God, right? Trust me. I'm not the son of God. You know that. So if we were to choose just one or two people that are in our lives right now that do not know Jesus, pray for them. Pray that God will give you an opening to play your part and wait for those openings to come because God will bring them. You know, John War in the 18th century, he was an apprentice shoemaker. And he was determined to take this passage seriously, to be a witness to Christ. So what happened was that in his shoe shop where he was working as an apprentice, another apprentice was hired. And so he thought, Lord, is this the guy? Shall I, shall I witness to him? And the Lord said, witness to him. So he did. So he started every opportunity he had, he started to talk to this other guy about spiritual things. Just talk about his relationship with Jesus. He didn't go heavy on him. He just used every opportunity he could to talk about his relationship with Jesus. The new worker that came, the other apprentice, didn't want anything to do with him at all and with Jesus. And he just said, leave me alone, leave me alone. And so he respected him, but any time there was an opportunity, he would share One day, this other apprentice was caught exchanging a counterfeit shilling for a good one. And he was pulled out in front of all the other workers and humiliated. After that, he went to John. And he said, John, can you pray for me? Can you help me? And through that, John was able to share more and more about the message of Jesus Christ and the transformation that Christ had done in his life. Eventually that man, that other man, put his faith and trust in Christ and grew into a committed disciple with John's help. That young man in that shoe shop was William Carey. He's the father of modern missions. He became a Baptist minister. He went out to India and spread the gospel in India, and he he started the modern missionary movement. Why? Because of one guy who was faithful 
to the Great Commission in his place of work. He just shared. He just, if John Moore had not been there, maybe William Carey would never have become a believer. Maybe he wouldn't have gone and then done what he did in India and transformed the lives of millions. All because of the faithfulness of one person. I started by asking you, what's the purpose of the church? The truth is, we are the church. And we can easily just ask ourselves the same question. Why am I here? Why has God planted me here, in Harrow, right now? You know why we're here? To go and make disciples. That's why he's placed you here. That's why he's placed me here. I'm going to sing that song again, Jesus Be the Center. Can we do that? While we're singing it, I want you just to think and pray and say, Lord, show me one or two people today that you want me to just be myself to. That you want me just to to share my love of you with them. That that you being the centre of my life will radiate out in such a way that they will see it and you will give me opportunities just to share at a deeper level how much I really love you. Maybe I can invite them to church to something along, you know, in, in time, if it's appropriate. Maybe I invite them to, or another friend to come and talk to them or whatever. Just trust the Lord. He will show you what He wants you to do. But I want you to get one or two people, picture them right now in your minds. And say, Lord, I'm going to pray for that person. And I want you to give me, Lord, an opportunity, many opportunities to share with them. Maybe just a small way. They They don't have to have it all way to share with them the love of Jesus. As we sing, let's ask the Lord just to speak to us right now.